I got a super good question for you. I know all the fellas, we're excited because football season is finally back. Thank God. Um, but here's a more important question. Did anybody come excited about Jesus this morning? Let's go. Hey, all so good to see you. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter number 37, the book of Psalms, chapter number 37. Let me just say Psalms 37, in particularly verses four through seven, is one of my favorite passages of scripture in all of the Bible. Uh, I've been a believer now for 20 years, and um, one of the things that I can say about since joining the staff here at Pillar Church, one of the things the Lord is showing me is you cannot be a part of Pillar Church without going through the process of understanding intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And um, as I've been going through this process of understanding intimacy with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's had me kind of just put all of my attention in this season in the book of Psalms. And the reason why he has my attention in the book of Psalms is because he's trying to show me, Bern, I want you to see not necessarily just what the Psalm writers are writing. I want you to see how comfortable they are with me in conversation. Now, there have been some moments where I've read some Psalms and I've been like, dang, David, you said that to the Lord? <laughs> like, just super transparent, super vulnerable, super open. And that's kind of the conversation that you and I are getting ready to have. I was in one of the kids' buildings or kids' rooms this week just spending some time with the Lord. And I've read Psalms 37, y'all, a bunch of times in the last 20 years. But for some reason, uh, this week or last week, verses 23 and 24 popped off the page to me like never before. And I want to read it to you real quick. Uh, again, Psalm 37, 23, 24, here's what it says. It says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. Somebody shout godly. godly. Oh, y'all sound good. Come on. It then goes on to say, he delights in every detail of their lives. Verse 24, though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them by the hand. And y'all, as I was reading this passage, there's a very simple question that popped in my mind. And the question was this, who are the godly? There's some benefits to the godly. One of the benefits of being godly is that the Lord directs our steps. But I'm trying to figure out who are the godly. And here's the deal. Are the godly those with clean hands and pure heart? Absolutely, they're the godly. Uh, are the godly those who don't just read the word, but live the word, absolutely those are the godly. Are the godly those who don't just come to church, but when they walk out of the four walls, they're actually being the church? They're absolutely the godly. But as I thought about all those examples, here's the other thing that the text says is that they will stumble, which lets me know that the godly aren't perfect. And I started to process and I started to think through about this man that you and I know, this man named David. David's considered godly, but as far as I'm concerned, David is ratchet. <laughs> and here's why I would say that David is ratchet. Think about what this man did. This man lied. This man manipulated. This man had another man killed, had committed adultery. If I look at David's actions, none of David's actions line up with him being considered to be the godly. As a matter of fact, most of his actions, I would say, are things that unbelievers do. So I'm sitting there and I'm saying to myself, Lord, I need you to bring clarity to me. Who are actually the godly? And in such a sweet tone, I felt the Holy Spirit say this to me. I wrote it down and put it on a sticky note because I didn't want to mess it up when I stood before you. Here's what I felt the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, Brent, 
You know you're godly, not by judging your right actions versus your wrong actions. You know you're godly when you invite me into every detail of your life. I said, oh, all right, Holy Spirit. Well, what else are you trying to say? Here's the truth of the matter. Truth of the matter is, is most of us in this room, we have no problem with people seeing our successes, but more importantly, we have no problem allowing God to see our successes. But one of the things that I've learned about God is God doesn't just want to be a part of your successes. He also wants to hold your hands through your failures. I want to preach for a few moments a message entitled, He Delights in the Details. In just a moment, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. Very familiar. We're going to talk about our two friends, Adam and Eve, and they're going to help us show, uh, show us some things that I feel the Holy Spirit wants to say today. But before I go any further, would you do me a favor uh, and join me in a word of prayer? Holy Spirit, I just want to first want to thank you for being in the room. I sense you. Thank you for the way that you are moving among us. God, in this moment, I yield and ask that you would increase. Let them not see me, let them not hear me, but God, let them only see and hear from you. Hide me behind the cross. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, for you are my strength and my redeemer. And lastly, I pray that by your supernatural power, that there would be some men and women in this room who would be delivered and set free from hiding from you, and they'll start hiding with you. Lord, we thank you, we bless you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. And everybody said, amen. amen. So in just a moment, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. But before we go there, I want to tell you a story of something that happened uh, a couple weeks ago with my son. My wife and I, we've been married for 11 years. She's, uh, and the Lord's blessed us with two kids, a two-year-old daughter named Zuri and our nine-year-old son named LB. We call him Little Brit. And here's what I need you to know, y'all. I absolutely love my nine-year-old boy. He's a handsome chocolate little boy with braids in his hair sometimes. He's just absolutely amazing. But here's the other thing that I know about my nine-year-old son. My nine-year-old son sometimes does foolish things. So a couple weeks ago, uh, school started off, praise the Lord, to all the parents in the room. And um, we enrolled him at a brand new school called Gilbert Christian School, amazing school. And my son's been struggling to make friends in school. So what my, friend, my son decides to do in order to make friends with school, he'll do things for attention. And y'all, I came to discover a couple of weeks ago that my son, LB, is learning sign language. And here's what I need you to know. The sign language that he's learning, it ain't the sign language that you would learn in school. For the people who still haven't caught it, just stick with me a little bit longer. So, um... He's in his math class, fourth grade math, teacher's Mrs. Hodge. And Mrs. Hodge, she's on the board and she's doing her math thing. She's doing four times four and eight times eight and 12 divided by four and all that stuff. And while her back's at the class, um, all of a sudden, the spirit of a road raging driver just jumped on top of my son. <laughs> and he communicated 
one word by just using one hand with just one of his fingers, and it just so happened to be the one in the middle of the whole hand. <laughs> Taj then sends an email to my wife and I, and I read the email, and she talks about what he did in class and how he got some laughs, but there were some students who did the right thing, told on him, as they should, um, and she sent me this email, and I'm reading the email, and here's what you need to know, y'all. I wasn't even mad about the inappropriate sign language that my son did. And the reason why I wasn't mad about the inappropriate sign language that my nine-year-old son did is because sometimes that's just what nine-year-old boys do. I expect them to make foolish decisions. So it's Friday, I told my wife, hey, I'll go pick him up from school today. So I go to the school, I pick him up, I'm gonna have a conversation with him, my son gets in the car. I say, hey, LB, he say, hey, daddy. I said, how was school today? Oh, daddy, school was great today. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'll beat it up. Anything happened in school today? No, nothing happened in school today. Went to recess, had lunch. It was good, daddy. <laughs> okay. I'll be, um, did anything happen in math today? Well, um, Daddy, I got in trouble because um, I was talking too much in the back of the classroom. Oh. Oh, you just talk too much. That's all you did? Well, LB, explain to me why I got an email from your teacher about you using inappropriate sign language in class. Now he's scared. And now I'm upset. And here's what y'all need to know. Again, I'm not upset about the inappropriate sign language. I'm upset because he hid it from me. Here's the deal. I wish my son would have hopped in the car. And when I asked him, son, how was your day today? He would have hopped in the car and said, Daddy, I need to tell you about what happened in math. I was watching TV and on the TV, I saw these people did the sign language and my friend saw it too and we started laughing, but I didn't know what it meant, so I did it too. Y'all, if my son would have got in the car and told me exactly what he did, I would have took the boy to ice cream. And the reason why I would have took the boy to ice cream is not because of him sticking up his middle finger, but because he was transparent enough and vulnerable enough and honest enough to tell me what he did. There's not a single mistake that my son can make that we can't work through. But instead, he hid it from me. So we drive to the house, and um, as any good father, you know, you, daddies know, even mamas, you kind of play mental games with your kids, so you don't say nothing to them. So we just ride in the car in silence. Just. And I can see him in the rearview mirror like, what's about to happen? <laughs> So we get to the house, we go upstairs, we go to his room, and um, the Lord gives me literally a, just a live visual or illustration for what I should do to teach him about the mistake he made. And just, I didn't say this in the other services, to all the parents, parenting can be hard. And here's what I wanna encourage you to do. When it comes to disciplining your kids, I wanna encourage you to always pray before you discipline. The reason why I was quiet in the car is because internally I'm asking the Holy Spirit to show me how to handle this situation. 
So I get in the house, we go up to his room, and I say, LB, do me a favor. I want you to stand up straight, and I don't want you to bend your knees. My son weighs maybe 60 pounds. I'm over 200 pounds. Y'all pray for me. I'm trying to lose some of it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, so here it is. He, he's 60 pounds. I'm over 200. I take both of my hands. I say, son, don't bend your knees. And I place both of my hands on his shoulders, and I start putting my body weight on him and he's standing there and he's struggling and his knees are shaking and he's having a hard time. And after about 10 to 15 seconds, I take my hands off. I say, LB, how did it feel when I was putting my weight on you? He said, Daddy, it didn't feel good. And I kid you not, this is what the Holy Spirit shared with me to share with him. He said, son, you never want to stand up under the weight of the things you're hiding. Because the more you hide, the heavier the load. And the truth of the matter, there are some people in this room who there have been some things in our lives, whether it's pride, whether it's arrogance, whether it's bitterness, whether it's unforgiveness, whatever it might be, now we, we're, we're, we're so quick to show the Lord us our attendance in church. But there are some other things that we've been hiding from him. And here's the deal. If you keep hiding it from him, he can't help you with it. It's the mistake that Adam and Eve made in the garden. Here it is. Let's walk through it. For those of you who are new to Christianity, welcome to the fam. Let me walk you through the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. God creates the heavens and the earth. And it is absolutely splendid, y'all. The grass is green. The wind is blowing. The weather is nice. It ain't 120 like it is in Phoenix. <laughs> you got the birds chirping. Everything is great. Then we get to the end of Genesis chapter 1, and God says, let us make man in our image. Now we get to Genesis chapter 2. God creates this man named Adam. Then God says, I feel like Adam needs a helper. So then he creates him a wife, this woman named Eve. And God takes this couple and he places them in the Garden of Eden. And here's what I need you to know about the Garden of Eden. It's not just a garden. It is the home of Adam and Eve. They stay at 316 Eden Drive. <laughs> they got a nice house, y'all real nice house. And the Lord lives there too. Now watch this. They look around, they're looking at their, their home. And here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter two, the very last verse, verse number 25, it says this. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Here's the Brent Hatcher translation of that text. The man and his wife were transparent, were vulnerable, were open, for the Lord, because they had no reason to hide anything from him. But then all of a sudden, something shifts when we get to Genesis chapter 3. Let's walk through it. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse number 1. Here's what it says. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, hey girl, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Eve replied, 
Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you're going to die. <laughs> and then the serpent says, child, please, you ain't going to die. <laughs> God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, as I was reading this text, there was a question that the Holy Spirit showed me that I had never seen before, and I'm going to ask the question to you. Let me see how this side of the room responds. When Eve had the conversation with the serpent, was Eve in sin? Okay, they had no coffee this morning because they ain't saying nothing. When Eve had the conversation with the serpent, was Eve in sin? No. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. No! But you know what she was in? An unhealthy position. And the reason why I'm pointing this out to you is because I feel like the overwhelming majority of people in this room, you don't have a sin issue, but you do have a health issue. And if you don't address the health issue, it will become a sin issue. Here's what I've learned about sin. You don't just blink your eyes and like, I'm in sin. That ain't how it works. Sin begins with the thought. That thought then creeps into the heart. Then it turns into an action. That action is a sin and that sin leads to death. That's James. Getting to the place of sin is a process. Eve went through a process. What was the process? She had a conversation with the serpent. And the serpent was so cunning that he tried to deceive what God's word was and instructions that he had already given her. Now, here's what I need you to realize. There was a gap between the unhealthy conversation and the biting of the fruit. And for some of us in this room, we're in the same exact place. We're somewhere in the middle. What's your unhealthy place? For some of you, it could be the DM, the email, the text message, whatever it is that you've been entertaining that you know you don't need to entertain because you already got a boot thing at home. For others, it's the bitterness, it's the unforgiveness, it's the pride, it's the arrogance, it's the way that people have hurt you and you haven't let it go yet. And if you don't recognize that there's something in your heart that the Lord wants to deal with you on and you keep trying to cover it up, if you are not careful, you will be convinced and here's what you'll do. You'll mess around and bite the fruit. Here's what I need to tell you. Don't bite the fruit. How could Eve have avoided biting the fruit? Because here's the deal, Eve, there's nothing wrong with you being confused about what God says. And if I'm confused about what God says, what do I do? He loses my house. Let me just go have a conversation with him. I know the serpent said that if I eat this fruit, I'm going to be like God. But I think God told me that I wasn't supposed to eat this fruit. Hey, God, real quick. Um, 
I was talking to the serpent, and the serpent said that if I eat this fruit, I'm going to be like you. But I'm pretty sure you told me that I ain't supposed to eat this fruit. God, can you tell me again what you said? And watch this, y'all. Here's what I, I can almost guarantee. Here's what God probably would have told Eve. Eve, I know that fool told you that if you eat the fruit, that you would be like God. You would be like me. But Eve, let me tell you something, baby girl. I already created you in my image and in my likeness. Eve, here's what I need you to know. I need you to know you don't need more to be more because you're already enough. She thought she needed the fruit so that she can be more of what she already was. Girl, you don't need that fruit. I've created you my image. I've created you my life. How does this reply to you and me? It's the same thing. Don't allow the enemy to make you think that you need more to be more when he's already created you to be enough. There's nothing you got to manipulate. There's nothing you got to concoct. There's nothing you got to stir up. If there's confusion about anything in your life, here's what you do. Just like he resided in 316 Eden Drive, the Lord lives at your house too. So if there's any confusion, here's all I got to do. Hey, God, I feel like the enemy's been talking to me, and he's been saying this, 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 this about me. But I feel like your word said this, this, this about me. And here's what the Lord says, son, daughter, here's exactly what my word has said against you. Now, here's what I need you to do. Go back to the enemy and let him know that no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper, that you are not listening to his lies, that you will not be deceived, but you belong to him, and you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Jesus literally gave you and I the model that happened in the Gospels. Satan showed up to Jesus when he was in the wilderness. And you know what Jesus did? I know what you're trying to say, but here's what the word actually says. Now get away from me. And then he spent the next three and a half years flipping this world upside down. But unfortunately, Eve didn't have that conversation, y'all. So what happens? Here's the rest of the text. The rest of the text goes on to say this, verse number six. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you, Adam? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Adam, if I could ask him any question, here were the questions I would ask Adam today. Adam, why are you hiding in your home. Remember, the garden isn't just the garden. This is their place of residence. And they reside with the Lord. Why are you hiding? Here's the truth, y'all. As hard as you may try, I need you to know this. 
you can't hide anything from the Lord. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Don't hide from him. Hide with him. I really wish the text would have read something like this. They ate the fruit. They realized they messed up. They ran to the father and had a conversation. Some of us need to stop running from the father and start running towards the father. There is nothing that you can't communicate to him that he does not already know. Because here's the thing. The longer you keep hiding the unhealthy thing, the longer you keep avoiding dealing with the unhealthy thing, is the more time the enemy has something to hold over your head and try to use it against you. There's beauty when you and I can hide with the Lord and not from the Lord. I want to read another psalm, Psalms number 91. It's an amazing psalm. Here's what I believe it um, might have been Moses, a prayer of Moses. Yep, in Psalms 91. Well, here's what it says in Psalms 91. And just for context, I'm going to read the whole thing because we all need to read our Bibles anyways. Amen. Um, Psalms 91, here's what it says. It says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. Pause. Some of you have been living in anxiety. Some of you have been living in depression. Some of you have been living in frustration because you haven't made the Lord your shelter. Here's the problem. Some of you come here when you're supposed to be residents, but you're only visitors. And God has never called you to be a visitor of his house. He's called you to reside in his house. And when you become a resident in his house, you never have to hide. When you become a resident, this isn't the place where I come to worry. This is the place where I come to get rest. Look at what he goes on to say in the rest of it. He says this in verse 3. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night nor the arrows that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness or the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon the lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. And watch this. I will rescue and honor them, not embarrass them, not make them feel shame, not make them feel less than because they messed up, not make them feel unconfident because they got some unhealthy things, but I will honor them and I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. That's trying to get you to get to a place to realize that the safest place in your life is when you're with me. 
I want to know every single detail in your life. I don't want you to hide anything from me. I want to know about your troubles. I want to know about your struggles. I want to know it all. So a week goes by, back to my son, and he's in this class, and um, he's discouraged because he's not keeping up with the other kids in the class. They're moving real fast, and he's, he's a couple steps behind. And he has a little bit of a breakdown, and he starts crying in class. So the email again, bless God for Mrs. Hodge, uh, sends me another, the teacher again, sends me another email. And she tells me about what happens. And, and I didn't mention to him about, I know that he cried in class, because here's the thing. I don't want him to feel embarrassed. So I say, hey, hey, LB, I just want you to know that I got an email from Mrs. Hodge, and she just told me that you were really frustrated that you weren't able to keep up. Son, how come, you, how come you just couldn't tell me that when I picked you up from school today? And he said, because, Daddy, I don't, like, I was just, I was really embarrassed. And I said, son, let's go back to our conversation we had last week. There's nothing in this house that you can't share with me. This should be the safest place in the world. Here's what I need you to know. LB, I don't want to just rejoice and be a part of things when you're doing well. I also want to be there when you're struggling. And the reason why is because as a dad, and I know at this point, oh, this is the message I got to preach, and the Lord's using my son to help me and you. Um, I say, here's the reason why, son. Because I enjoy knowing every single detail about you. Watch this. And then I tell my son this story. So I say, son, I'll never forget when you were first born as we get ready to land the plane. I'll never forget when you were first born. Um, your mom had bought this book, and this is the book, y'all. This is, this is, you know, when you're like a first-time parent and you just want to document everything about your kids. So we get one of these books for the second kid. Um, but the first kid, he got a book. So, so I get home. My wife's got this book on the couch. And um, I open up the book, and I said, son, I'll never forget when I opened up the book there were just these little details about you that were written in the book. And, and here's what it says in the book. It says, my name is Brent Anthony Hatchet II. It is special because I'm the first boy hatchet of this generation and carries on daddy, granddad, great-granddad legacy. I arrived at 2.48 a.m. on Wednesday, May 21st, 2014. My weight's five pounds, six ounces. My length is 19 and a half inches. My eye color is dark brown. My hair color is black. I'm very small. I'm a quiet baby, not fussy at all. I'm a, I'm a good baby. And I said, son, when I, was, when I was reading that, you were maybe six months old, I remember reading this and asking myself, just like I did right now, why the heck am I crying over a statue? But here's the reason why. It's much more than a statue. It's the details of my child. Here's the truth. You and I serve a God who wants to know the details about you. But here's what's crazy. He already knows them. But the reason why some of you haven't seen him move in your life 
the way you want him to move is because even though he knows the details, you haven't invited him into the details. Can I share with you what the psalm writer writes about the God of the universe who knows all of the details in our lives? I promise you this is the last piece of scripture that I'm going to read. It's Psalms number 139. It's absolutely amazing. Here's what the psalm writer writes in Psalms 139. He says, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know, when I sit down or stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and, what I, and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the, in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Here's the truth for the person that's been hiding. I need you to know that God already knows everything about you. He knows the good, he knows the bad, he knows the wicked, he knows the dark, he knows the sad, he knows the joy. There is not a single thing that he doesn't know about you. And for those of you who have this really messed up and warped view about your self-worth and your self-confidence, I need you to hear what God says about you. He says, how precious are your thoughts about me, oh God, they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. I don't care for some of you, you have gotten to the place to where you have bitten the fruit. Here's what I need you to know. God still loves you. God still loves you. God still wants you to draw close. God still wants to walk with you through this detail of your life. So here's what I want to do as we get ready to close service. I want everybody to stand up real quick and I want to invite our prayer team down front. I want you to see the most gangster scripture that's written in Psalms 139. It's the last two verses, and it's the prayer that you and I are going to pray together. Here's what it says. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Here's essentially what David said. God, would you do surgery on me? If there's an area in my life that is unhealthy, would you show it to me? And together, let's work through it. 
so that I can be pleasing to you, so that I can be like you. Here's what I want to do. There are people in this room. You heard this message. And there's no if, no ands, no buts about it that the Holy Spirit was speaking to you today and you are aware that there are some things in your life that are completely and totally unhealthy. It ain't sinful, but it's unhealthy. And you're somewhere in the middle. And today is the day where I believe the Holy Spirit is gonna meet you down front at this tent of meeting. And today you will be set free and delivered. Aaron's about to sing a song. But if you know this message is for you, I want you to stop hiding from him and I still want you to start hiding with him. When Aaron begins to sing, if you know I was talking to you, I want you to run to this altar and you got one of two options. You can one to run to these people and they will pray with you or you and the Holy Spirit can have a conversation on your own. But at today, the hiding ends. Today, you will be set free. Today begins your health journey. So when Aaron begins to sing, don't you dare allow the enemy to convince you otherwise. If you know the Holy Spirit was speaking to you, I just want you to come to the altar. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for this opportunity to speak your word. Now, I pray that you will begin to do open heart surgery on all of us. And for those who come down to this altar, Holy Spirit, would you overwhelm them with your presence? In Jesus' name, amen. And when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll and whatever my lot thou
As we get ready to transition, when the Holy Spirit is moving, you never just want to abruptly end. I know that there are some people in this room who still need prayer. When I say the benediction, if that's you, the altar workers will still be down here and they'll be here to pray with you. As encouragement, I intentionally had Aaron sing that song because wrestling through unhealth can be difficult and painful. But I want you to be reminded that no matter where you are in life, as long as you are hiding with him and not from him, it will be well with your soul. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for the time that you gave us today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for never abandoning us. Thank you for encouraging us. Thank you for always being with us. Thank you for being a father that delights in the details of our lives and holds us by the hand. And there are moments where we stumble. Thank you that you allow us to never fall. So Lord, as we leave this place, but never your presence, would you continue to order our steps, those who you consider to be godly, because we invite you into the details of our lives. We thank you, we bless you, we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. And everyone said, amen. amen.